0: Shalom to everyone. As we are in the midst of the nine days and Tisha B'Av is quickly approaching, I tried to find a Dvar Tvevah where I got the idea from my Chavrusah, Reb Ashi Stangi, and um Hashem will build on it, that has to do with this week's Parsha and the idea of the nine days. So we know there's a famous Pasuk that's laying to every Shabbos in Parsha's volume the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av, which is the Shabbos we're approaching. And the Minog for the Ashkenazim is to lay it in the same T'amim as we do Eicha. And on that Pasuk, the Pasuk I'm referring to is <speaking in Hebrew> That Pasuk literally means Moshe Rabbeinu is saying how can I alone carry your trouble and your burden and your quarrels now this eicha it, it, it signifies that something is going downhill how, how am I supposed to carry all your burdens? says Moshe Rabbeinu so it's interesting if you look at the beginning of the Midrash Rabba on eicha, it says that three times it says eicha and both of them were a certain type of uh, prophecy, and it seems like one led to the other. Meaning, the first of the three was in our in our parsha, Moisha Rabbeinu, who was a navi. The second one was Yeshaya, as it says, Echa Haytalazonah, and the third one is Yirmiah, where it says, Echa Yeshva vadad. which is actually Megillah Echa that we're gonna read Pezosh and Bezoshem on Tisha B'am. So it seems like the first Eicha, which is uh, in our Parsha, is the one, whatever was behind that, is what led to the ripple effect eventually to the last Eicha, which is what we read in Megillat Eicha, that led to this destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So the question is, what was the idea behind the first Eicha in our Parsha? When when Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to Bnei Israel, "How can I alone carry your trouble?" What was behind this? What what was Moshe Rabbeinu trying to say? So perhaps one can answer based on Arashi in this week's parsha. Later on, meaning two psukim later, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Bnei Israel. Vatanuti tova davar asher dibarta Moshe Rabbeinu says right after that pasuk of Eicha, he says, "Okay, I'm going to get people to help me to to do the the court system. I'm going to get wise people from each tribe, etc., etc. And then the pasuk Vatanuti and you, Bnei so you answered me and said. But so it's very good the thing you're doing. The thing that you have proposed to do is very good. Meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu shouldn't be the only one judging them. But rather it should be many other wise people as well. So Rashi on this says the following. That Moshe Rabbeinu is actually telling them. Why were you so excited when I offered to have other people helping me in the Judaical system? You should—that's disrespectful. You should have said, "We want you, Moshe Rabbeinu It's better to learn directly and to get judged directly by the rabbi, not by other wise people helping him." So that's what you should have said. That's exactly what Rashi says. Hayalachem la'shiv. You should have answered, Rabbeinu Moshe, we prefer you, just you, mimina elimod. Who is it better to learn from? Mimcha umitalmidecha, from you or from your students?" But no, they didn't say that. And goes on, R- Rashi goes on to say, why not? Because they were worried that with Moshe Rabbeinu, he'll be so on the ball, as they say, that they won't be able to do anything to try to convince him to tell them a different psak, meaning to tell them the law based on the Torah is different than, than what it really is. With Moshe Rabbeinu, they knew that whatever he says is exactly based on the Torah and no one can change him. No one could could give him money to try to change his mind chas v'shalom or something like that but other people they felt, yeah, we'll be able to affect them, so even if they'll tell us something we don't like, it's not going to be game over we're still going to be able to impact them, and that's exactly what Rashi says if you look inside so, okay, so how is this shedding light on the main question we asked why is the ikha in our parsha the domino effect, the ripple effect that leads to the other prophecies with Eichah, which led eventually to the destruction of Bresa Mikdash. Why is that? So to answer this, perhaps, I will start off with another question, which I said in previous Divrei Torah, a famous Ksav Soifer. The Ksav Soifer asks, I understand all the Ten Commandments, they seem like pretty basic ideas that Yiddishkeit is based on. It's the foundation for Yiddishkeit. You have to know that Hashem is God, and not to murder, etc. But one of them, s- at first sight, seems not to deserve to be in the top 10, which is Lotachmod. You're not allowed to want what your friend has. So, okay, it's not a good thing, but why is it so bad that it makes it into the top 10? Especially to those are really showing you that hold, that it's, you're over the, the sin just by wanting what your friend has, even though, even though you don't go out and force him to sell it to you. What's the big deal? Answer the Gustavus Soyfield, it's a very big deal. Because it shows that your whole sense of Yiddishkeit is warped. It shows that you don't really believe Hashem's running the show. Because if you don't realize that the tools you got, the house you got, the wife you got, whatever else you got, that is what you need and you require to do the tikkun that you your neshama needs to do in this world and that's why your neshama was sent here and if you're saying oh I can't believe I don't have this and if only I didn't have this and I did have this then that shows that you don't believe what life is all about that Hashem created the world and brought your neshama to this world to be metak in what it needs to be metak in, in, in the worlds above us and therefore it makes it into the top 10 so too here what led perhaps to the destruction of the of HaMikdash based on this Rashi and based on the Midrash is the following that Israel they really thought that why weren't they happy with what Moshe Rabbeinu was going to say they should have been very happy because that is a way for Hashem to convey to us what needs to happen so if someone loses in Beit Din goes to court and he loses and he has to pay two thousand dollars to someone else that means Hashem felt that his tools to perform his mission in life for his neshama is not to have those two thousand dollars so he shouldn't be upset and he shouldn't try to start manipulating the judges to to reverse the call why? because that is what Hashem that's a way for Hashem to convey to us what should happen just like when someone loses a, a million dollars and he gets all upset and someone else finds it and according to the halacha the finder gets to keep it the person that lost it shouldn't feel so bad because at the end of the day he was not meant to have that million dollars and the fact that Pnei Israel were up in arms and said to Moshe Rabbeinu yeah, great idea, we prefer other people why? because in the back of their mind they said these other wise people we can affect we can manipulate, but with Moshe Rabbeinu there's, there's no way we can manipulate him that shows in a way they're saying to we prefer not to have the real law that the Torah wants us to do, i.e. what Akadish Baruch wants us to do, we want to take the law into our own hands, in a certain sense. And once you do that, that's in a way saying to Hashem, thank you very much, let us live our own life. And that's exactly, unfortunately, pushing away the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah were pushing away the Shekhinah from us. And that's Mida Kenegid Mida, that the base mikdash was destroyed. What does that mean? Siluk HaShekhinah. Gadish Borutu said, wait a second, you don't want me, that's your frame of mind, then I'm leaving. And that's exactly why, perhaps, everything led to the other Ikhaz, which led eventually to the destruction of the base of mikdash. Before we end with a story, to get us in the mood of the nine days and, and, and perhaps try to live to this idea that we're saying that we're supposed to yearn to have the Shekhinah back which should be easier especially this year after what all the world is going through because when the base of Mikdash was around we felt the Shekhinah was with us even the goyim realized that the Shekhinah was with Am Yisrael and everyone was scared of us as the Gemaras all say and the Midrashim the fundamental concept that comes out of here is that we have to know that wherever comes our way, through halacha, through chosh and mishpat, whatever it is, when we go to Rav and ask, what's the halacha? Do I owe him $100 or not? We should realize that whatever the psaq is, that's a cleave, that's a tool for Hashem to tell us and to convey to us what needs to be done. Just like anything that happens to us in our world, that's, it's not by chance. That's what Hashem knows is the best for us to do our mission in life. So the following story is a story the Hafez Chaim said. I don't think he said it was just a mashal. It was a true story, but the story goes the the following. Of course, I'm going to say it in a couple of minutes, but the Hafez Chaim thought it was very important to say the story before Tisha B'Av, and it took him almost an hour to say the story and all the different details of the story, but I'll try to make it quick and short and to the point. So a long time ago in Poland, during the Hafez Chaim times, there was a married couple that for many, many years they couldn't have kids. So they tried everything, all the segulot, they did everything, all their shtadlut to have a kid. Eventually, after getting a certain bracha, they had a kid and they were so happy. And of course, they were very excited in the bris, and they were very excited when he started to go to school. And when he became bar mitzvah, then suddenly, out of left field, as they say, when he turned 18, the army, the Polish army, came and they forced him to go to the army like many other boys his age. And the mother pleaded and didn't give up hope and begged the government, he's an only child, please let him stay. But they wouldn't listen. And so he went off to the army. And the mother did not give up. She kept writing letters to the government. And she, tried, she never gave up. And she always dovened for him to come back. After a couple of years of him being in the army, she finally gets one of her letters back they wrote back to her and they said okay, your son's going to come back on this on this day, in this train station at this time, she got so excited she couldn't sleep for the whole week before the night before she said, that's it, I'm going to the train station I'm going to just sleep on the bench until he comes finally, she's so eager she waits for the train, the time that train was supposed to come and the train gets there. And one person gets off, and two people, and she's looking, and she's looking, and she just can't see him. Eventually, the final person gets off the train, and still not her son. She doesn't know where to, what to do. She waits for the next train, the next train, until, and she just keeps waiting, and she can't believe it, that she doesn't see him. And that is how the story ends. So what does that have to do with us? So the Chafetz Chaim says, this is what we're supposed to show HaKadosh Buhu, that we're waiting for HaKadosh Buchu, we want the Shekhinah back. That's what Hashem is doing for us, He's waiting for us to become better, so that we'll deserve to have the Shekhinah back, and Beis HaMikdash back. And it should be so much easier in our day and age, when everything around us, this c- coronavirus, whatever it is, is around us, and is affecting so many of us, this would never happen in the Beis HaMikdash, because we'd be so much closer to HaKadosh Buruch Hu. that will dwell upon these Nakudas, which are easier to do, unfortunately, this year, and through that will merit to Binyan beis Mikdash be of Amen.